Today we're talking about our identity and our identity in Christ. But before I jump into the sermon, I just I have to do a quick checkup. Um, how's your fantasy football team doing? I, I mean, was that was that on anybody's agenda this morning? You kind of had to check and make sure you. Wait, there's some of you that don't understand fantasy football. Okay, just a quick little primer here, just in case you don't know what's going on. You see, the NFL, right, the National Football League, has a series of teams, including the Baltimore Ravens, and they play. And you may have a great attachment to your team. Um, <clears throat> my wife has a great attachment to the Cowboys, but we forgive her. Uh, we love her and her. Atta- you know. But you may have attachment, of course, to the Ravens, and you believe in your team. Somewhere along the line, I don't know, people decided that that wasn't enough just to root for your team. But now you can create your own team. You take players from other teams and you create your own team and they play other teams with those same players, but it's not real. Right, right. It's your fantasy football team. It, it, it's your own personal. Oh, you pick the quarterback from this team and a running back from this team and the defensive line from this team. And you put together what you think is the best team possible to play against your friends or maybe others that are just out there in the world. And however your players do on any given Sunday, it's how your team does that week. Does that make sense? Yeah, it doesn't make sense to me either. I kind of think, look, I get watching the game, I get rooting for my team, but now there's this sort of other identity, this other team that you've created, and you might actually, you might actually want your hometown team to lose so your players might win because they might be on the different other team. I don't get it. Some of you get it. Some of you like this. It's okay. You can. This is not a sermon against fantasy football. But it's so interesting how quickly we pick circumstances, desires, even fantasies to be part of our identity. We get wrapped up in how our team is doing. We get wrapped up on how our uh, nation is doing. We get wrapped up in how our company is doing. We get wrapped up in all of these things that somehow become part of our identity. In the book of Colossians, a letter that the Apostle Paul writes to this church in Colossae, he, he mentions some things. He says, in the very middle of the book, when Christ, who is your life, when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. What is this? In the middle of this letter, Paul is referring to an event that is going to happen. It hasn't happened yet. You see, Christ has come. Jesus has come and revealed who God is. He died for our sins. He rose again. And he gave us information about what is to come. And the Apostle Paul, knowing that Jesus will come back one day, is saying, Jesus is coming back, and your glory. Jesus will come, and everything will be about him. Everything will be centered on him. When the king takes his rightful place, and we see him as he is, everything else in creation, including your fantasy football team, no matter how well it did, will just melt away. When Christ, who is your life, appears. I get it. I know what Paul's saying. I've studied this a long time in my life. I I, I believe it with all of my heart. But the truth of the matter is, it's hard for me to say Christ is my life. Right? It's, It's hard in the middle of this world and in this time to be able to say Jesus is my everything. 
Because I've got so many other things competing for my attention. Relationships. Church life. My own issues that I have my identity wrapped up in. And so often, we get confused. But this scripture stands as a reminder that whether you believe it or whether you're living it, Jesus is our life. Well, I want to drive home a couple ideas that kind of help us understand why Jesus needs to be our life now. He will be, but why he should be our life now. Number one, Christ is your life because he is your creator. He made you. In fact, the whole universe is there at his command. Okay, we we can go all the way back to the beginning of the story, right? Genesis chapter 1, verse 1 just says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. This is foundational for us, right? We believe that God made the universe. That it wasn't just a random event. It wasn't just a uh, confluence of circumstances that caused some kind of great start to, the, to everything. Philosophers throughout time have said, including Aristotle, who is famous for saying, there had to be a prime mover. There had to be a first cause. There had to be someone, and others have argued that that someone must know how to make a universe like this one. And must have the power to make a universe like this one. There must be an in the beginning. God. That doesn't mean he doesn't use natural processes that he put in place, but it means that God is God and nothing exists without him. But do you know that when the scripture talks about Jesus, this monogenes or only begotten of the Father, this firstborn of God, this one who in very essence is God, when it speaks of Jesus, it tells us how Jesus was part of this created act. Look what it says in Colossians, the very book where it says Jesus, who is your life, appeared. Look what it says about him. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all of creation. For in him, don't miss this, it's in yellow. That's why I always tell people for their exams. All the the exam issues are in yellow on my PowerPoint. For in him, all things, all things. Did you get it? All things were created. In heaven, earth, visible, invisible, thrones, powers, rulers, authorities, all things were created through him and for him. When Christ, who is your life, appears, he is your life because he started it all. He created it all. There was nothing that has been, uh, that exists, that exists apart from him. That's what it says in John chapter 1. Or in Hebrews chapter 1 where it talks about how in the past God did speak to us through the prophets. But in these last days he has spoken to us through his son, who is the exact representation of his being. Through whom he made the universe and who By him sustains all things by his powerful word. Do you realize what that says? All of you who are science-oriented minds, who know a whole lot more about the biological and submolecular structures, Jesus holds it all together. The quarks vibrate at his word, and he holds it and sustains it. Jesus is Lord. He is your creator. When it says that Jesus is your life appears, it's quite literally, he is your life. Your molecules would just apart without Jesus. 
Guys, that is a huge, giant step, right? I mean, I, I can't imagine those first disciples who were walking along with him and it's like, so right now you're holding the universe together? Yep, yep, I'm doing that. I, I, they had no concept that Jesus held life in his hand. Could you imagine Mary as we approach Christmas season? Maybe it's a little too early. We haven't even had Thanksgiving yet. But can you imagine Mary or Joseph holding Jesus? the author of life, in their arms. I don't get it. i got to be honest. I don't understand it. All I know is I've come to believe that this is the truth, that Jesus, by his resurrection from the dead, proved that he is king. So my re- identity, in some ways, is wrapped up in him because without him, I don't exist. Jesus is my creator. He's my king. And yet, my identity so quickly is wrapped up in almost everything else. When I ask, who are you? If we're meeting for the first time today, perhaps you're visiting Valley Baptist Church, or you're watching online and you come to visit and we meet for the very first time, I, I begin, well, well, tell me about yourself. Tell me about your... I don't think the first thing out of your mouth is, well, my identity is in Christ Jesus. He is my creator. He, by Him, all things are hold together. That's probably not the first thing you would tell me. Tell me about yourself. Who are you really? You might tell me about your career. Oh, well, this is what I do, you know, during the week, and this is who I work for, or, you know, I own my own company, or this is, maybe it's economic status, you know, maybe you say, well, do I wear the nice sweater today with the zipper? Um, You know, that's sort of impressive to everybody. Um, Do do we try to put on airs? It's like, well, you know, and try to look a certain way. Is our identity caught up in some kind of racial distinctions? This is an issue, right? In in our country today and in the world today, race is always an issue and needs to be addressed because God has put supreme worth in all people, because God has created all people, and yet our identity cannot be totally wrapped up in our race. Because God has called us to be one people. In fact, the scripture is clear. He's made one out of the dividing groups. Is it wrapped up in our memories So often we want to reflect back and think about some good days and good things. I was thinking about some today. As we go back to Thanksgiving, we think about the good things of this year. But are they wrapped up in our memories? Political affiliations, our citizenship, our nationality, our place in a family structure. Is our identity wrapped up in anything other than Jesus Christ who created me and loved me? And has called me to be his very own. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then we'll appear with him in glory. There's a story in the book in the Old Testament. It's the story of a man named Job. Job was the it says the wisest or the wealthiest man of the East. I mean, this guy had money, he had power, he had influence. God protected him and blessed him. He had tons, and I mean when I'm saying thousands of camels and thousands of sheep and thousands of I mean his identity was wrapped up in, in all of these things. He had a wonderful set of children and uh, they would have lots of celebrations and were afforded all the privileges of wealth and status. Job doesn't know this, but Satan comes to God and says, well, Job loves you and Job worships you because you've given him all this stuff. Take it away and see what happens. And God allows Satan to strip away everything from Job. And when I say everything, 
yeah, raiders came, took away the sheep and the cattle and the donkey. His wealth was just stolen from him. If that weren't enough, a storm came. Probably some kind of a great tornado type of thing came and destroyed the, 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 the place where his children were to all gathered together and they all died. Satan comes back and, and, and God allows him to strip away his health. I mean, even his own health. He sat there with sores and his flesh was literally just in agony as he sat and mourned the loss of family, mourned the, mourned the loss of any kind of status or any kind of identity. And his friends just picked at him and picked at him and picked at him, trying to get at the root that there must be some evil or wickedness in Job that caused all of this destruction. As Job pled his innocence and just said, I just wish God would show up. I just wish God would come and give me an explanation here. I, I throw myself at God's mercy. I have done nothing. There's nothing that I did to deserve this. I've honored God with my life. How could God strip away everything that is me? In the middle of that, God does, in his grace, in his mercy, in his love, show up. But I'm not sure God gave the answer Job was expecting. In fact, God says it a little bit like this in Job 38. He says, where were you, Job, when I laid the earth's foundation? So tell me, Job, if you understand who marked off the dimensions of the world. Surely you know. Who stretched a measuring line across it? Or in verse 8, who shut up the sea behind doors when it burst forth from its womb, when I made the clouds a garment and wrapped it in thick darkness, when I fixed limits for it and set its doors and bars in place, when I said this far you may come and no further, here is where your proud waves halt. Now, it goes on like this for about three chapters. Were you there when the gazelle gave birth? Explain how that process works, Job. Surely you understand. Are you able to understand the Leviathan in the great deep of the ocean? Could you grab a hold of it and take hold of it? No, 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 no. God had a word for Job. It was loving. It was kind. But it was corrective. And said, Job, you're not God. I'm God. You don't understand it all. I'm the Lord. And I'm your Lord. You see, Job had earlier in the book said, I know my Redeemer lives. I know my Redeemer lives. But now Job knew his Redeemer was also Creator God, Lord of all things. Oh, he had confessed it. He said he believed it. But now when everything was stripped from him, when all his identity was taken away, when all the blessings were gone, and he had God and God alone, he knew. He knew that he was, and don't miss this today, beloved creation. Creation that God esteemed so much that he would show up, that he would sit, that he would come and speak to, God, to Job. Oh, he restored Job's life. All the things that were about Job's life. But what Job came to understand is that his life was in God alone. That God alone is the one who has called us and loved us and created us to be his own. I know my Redeemer lives. Now Job knew that his Redeemer lives. You see, today I want you to realize that Christ is your life, not just because he created you, 
but also, just like Job discovered, because he, get this, redeemed you. He is your Redeemer. Christ is your life because He's your Creator, but He's also your Redeemer. He's the one that has purchased you back. He's the one who has brought you back. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, the Apostle Paul explains it this way. You are not your own. He says, don't you know? Don't you know? Your bodies are now the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, God's Spirit comes and dwells in us. Don't you know? Your bodies are now the temple of the Holy Spirit, whom you receive from God. You're not your own. You were bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. You don't belong to yourself. Your identity is not in you. You have been purchased back. There was a story that I was told when I was younger. I, don't, I was a young uh, uh, student, a ministry student, right? Going to be a pastor someday kind of thing or do ministry kind of thing someday. And you begin to get real critical, right? Because you're learning all these great things in seminary and you begin to watch everybody else preach and you're like, well, you know, if I were preaching, I don't think I would do it that way. You know, if I were, you know. And you start getting maybe a little bit too big for your britches kind of thing. Kind of, you, get, you get a little uppity. You get a little bit sort of uh, critical in ways you shouldn't be. There was a story that I heard repeatedly from a, a very famous pastor, and he kept preaching the same story. And I thought, it's called a Little Johnny story. What are Little Johnny stories? They're stories that preachers will tell that aren't real stories. They didn't really happen. And I always thought, see, those aren't the best. You should find a real story that really makes an impact. But I'll tell you what, this one Little Johnny story, I can't seem to forget it. It stayed with me because it just makes so much sense. It said, little Johnny, of course it's a little Johnny story, so it's got to be a little Johnny. I don't know why we picked Johnny, but little Johnny, he made a boat. Now, I, I tried to make a boat once, but okay, little Johnny apparently was able to make a boat. I don't know what he did. He carved it. He painted it. He, he made his own little boat. All right? And little Johnny decided he would go down to the creek one day, but the waters were up. They were kind of, had been a big rain. There was a lot of, and he thought, I'm going to put my little boat in the water and see how it does. And of course, Johnny, not being wise lost that boat. It took off down the river. It took off down the stream. It was gone. And although he tried to catch it, he tried to keep up with it, the boat was just gone. It wasn't a week later that little Johnny was in town and he saw in the window of the toy store his boat that he had made. Now, i got to be honest with you, maybe it was because there were supply chain issues during the time and they couldn't get all the toys for Christmas. I don't know what it was, why, why they didn't have their, you know, Mattel didn't have like their boats in the window. I don't know why little Johnny's boat somehow made it in the toy store. You can't ask those kind of questions about little Johnny's stories. But little Johnny went in, asked the store owner if he would please give him his boat. He'd made it. It belonged to him. And the owner was like, well, <clears throat> you're welcome to have this boat. It's $15. He's like, yeah, but I made it. It's mine. And the store owner was like, it can be yours again for $15. I'm not disputing that you made it. I'm just disputing that you don't own it anymore. It's, here it is. Well, little Johnny boy, he got out there and got a job. He was mowing lawns. He was delivering newspapers. He was doing whatever he had to do. And he scrimped and he saved and he saved any odd jobs he could do. He worked and worked and worked and worked. And when he gathered it together, he took his money and he bought the boat back. And he said, now you're twice mine. 
Now you're twice mine. You're mine because I made you. And now you're mine because I redeemed you. I bought you back. That story, right, is the image of God who valued us kind of like a little boat. Homemade. Not such a big deal. But crowned us with glory. The scripture says, what is man that you think of him? The son of man that you even care about us. But you have made him a little lower than the angels. But you have crowned him with glory. God who made you has now crowned you with glory in the fact that he loved you so much that he sent his own son, Jesus Christ, the heir of the universe, the one by whom and for whom the universe was made, to die in your place, to be the price, the sacrifice, to pay for your sins, to redeem you, so that we are now twice gods. We belong to God because he created us. But now we belong to him because he redeemed us. He showed his love for us in this. That while we were sinners, while we had enslaved ourselves to sin, while we had gotten to a place where we no longer uh, could have that relationship with God because of our own error of our ways, God redeemed us. Do you realize your worth? Oh, not because of how great you are or how good you are or how successful you've been or any of the mistakes you've made. Do you realize your worth is because God valued you? He picked you. He chose you. He said, out of all creation, I'm going to send my son to redeem you. Your worth and your identity is found in Christ Jesus because he's your creator and he's your redeemer. So hear this. Write it down. Etch it on whatever notepad you've got. Ta- oh, okay, don't tattoo it to your forehead. That's probably a bad idea. But if you can remember this, whatever you've got to do, you are beloved creation. All creation is glorious, what God has done. But you are the creation that God has loved. You are the creation that God has loved. Now, I hope you've got that point. I hope that you've heard it. But here's what I want you to realize. In the book of Colossians, Paul is writing this letter and says, when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will appear with him in glory. He's writing a letter to people who are getting confused. He's writing against what Bible scholars call the Colossian heresy. What was it? Well, They're not actually sure, because we don't see directly an explanation of what it is. But it seems to be some different thoughts that had crept into the people of God, that had crept into the way of thinking where the people were, that had crept into and began to confuse and distort the way people were living. And today, i got to be honest, we're going to deal with something that has crept in to us. Look at what Paul says in the same book of Colossians. He says this, See to it that no one takes you captive by hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces or the basic spiritual principles of this world rather than on Christ. Okay, what is he talking about? Hollow and deceptive philosophy. Well, you're thinking, oh, well, Mike's a philosophy professor. That's what he's been doing all this time. He's wasting his time teaching philosophy. Okay, wait, 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 okay. Paul, Paul, Paul actually, when you read the text here, It actually talks about a specific type of philosophy, a hollow and deceptive one. He's not saying all philosophy, loving wisdom, that's what philosophy is. He's not saying that all philosophy is bad. This is not an attack on all sort of the way we think as humans. But he is attacking how any philosophy 
can become hollow and deceptive. And he's specifically talking about a philosophy that has infiltrated the church here. Now, we don't know, like I said, we don't know exactly what it is. But I can tell you what it is today. I can tell you what one of the philosophies are today. One of the philosophies is today. Sometimes in our lives, we begin to think our identity is built on something other than. Something other than Jesus, who is your life, it appears. Did you hear me? What in the world are we talking about? What other kind of identity could it be? Well, that we already talked about some of the things, that it can be our material possessions or our career, that somehow we're stuck in that. Sometimes it can be sort of these racial tensions that are in our world that are very real, and we need to do everything we can to make sure every single soul knows its worth, that God has created every single one of us, and that we are all worthy in God's sight. But also it can come a little bit in our identity with, with like our, even our sexuality and how we want to present ourselves, right? And sometimes that gets into our, our identity. Like, well, this is who I am. I need for people to somehow agree with me or applaud what I've done or somehow affirm some kind of stance that I believe about myself. Brothers and sisters, we need to realize that our identity is in Christ Jesus alone. He is our creator. He knows us best. And he has laid out for us how we are to live. He knows how we are wired. We can become confused. Our identity is not in our sexual preferences. It isn't. We may have those. I'm not denying that they exist. I'm not denying that they've existed throughout humanity's time. But that is not where our identity lies. Our worth doesn't come with everybody agrees with our perspective on who we are. Our identity and our worth comes from Jesus Christ loving every single one of us. And not requiring that we make everything right before we come to Him, but that we just come to Him and find grace and find mercy. And allowing Him in surrender to change our perspectives so they would be in line with His. Right now, today, we are in a battle of identities. It's not a battle that the church needs to fight. It's not a battle that we're in. We are called to be those that just love and show the universe their worth in Christ Jesus that God loves and has made us his beloved creation. I've got to surrender my own desires. I've got to surrender my own self-identity. Under the lordship of Jesus, the creator who loved me and redeemed me. Why? Well, these hollow and deceptive philosophies, they're based on some really good stuff. What are they based on? Look what it says in the, flip to that next slide. Human tradition and the basic principles of this world, rather than on Christ. Those aren't bad things. Those aren't bad things. Human tradition, that, that, that's, our best, that's our best thinking so far. Elemental spiritual forces, that's... Well, quite frankly, that's almost science. It's the basic principles of how the world works. These are not wrong things. But they can lead us to wrong conclusions apart from the guidance of Jesus Christ. When they are based solely on these human traditions and solely on these basic principles rather than on Jesus, it leads us astray. Now, this may be a shocker to some of you, and i got to be honest, it's a tough one right now in our society and our world. But here's the deal. 
If we don't know God's word and know God and know his love and have this fundamental beginning point of identity, that our identity is in beloved creation, we will go astray. We will go awry. Our conception about what life is all about will get distorted. How are you bringing yourself under the lordship of Jesus? He is your life because he created you. He's your life because he redeemed you. And showed you your worth. But finally, he's your life because he is your future. He is your future. Christ, who gave himself for us, who died for us, is coming back. That's why Paul said, when Christ, who is your life, appeared, then you'll appear with him in glory. Because he is coming back for us. He is your future. In Colossians chapter 3, right before that verse we were looking at, verse 4, it says this. Since you have been raised with Christ, set your hearts on things above. Where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When we do baptism up here... It's a symbol. It's a symbol that we put you under the water. Why do we put you under the water? Because it's a symbol of death. We died. Our old self died. And now, resurrected, we have a new self. When we put our faith in Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit is in us. But we still have our struggles and our sin nature. It's still struggling with us. But there will be a day when Jesus comes, when we will be with Him in glory, when the old self is stripped away, when when our physical harms and ailments are gone, when our desires for wrong things and our our minds are confused about our identity, when those things are all stripped away and Christ, who is our identity, is fully realized in our lives, we are exactly who He made us to be. There's a day. So set your mind on things above. Now, it might not matter if I get that promotion or not. Maybe it doesn't matter if the toys I wanted to get for my kids are on the shelf this Christmas. Maybe it doesn't matter if you fill in the blank. Because Christ, when He appears, I will be with Him in glory. He is my future. I don't need to fight for something else in my life because He alone is my life. So as we look at this verse one more time, I have a question for you. Is He your Lord? He's your Creator. He's your Redeemer. If you put your faith in Jesus Christ, He's your future. But is He your Lord? Let's read it one more time. For when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will appear with Him in glory. Let's pray together. Father, thank You so much for showing creation its worth. For laying your glory on us. Putting your image of who you are in our lives. And then giving us your spirit to redeem us. To transform us into the likeness of your son. Thank you for the sacrifice of Jesus who paid for our sins. Who gave us justification. Thank you for the new life that we have that's coming. It's all in you. Lord, would you work in our hearts. Reshape our minds. Would you let us be the creation that you intended us to be the new creation in your son, Jesus. We pray these things in his name. Amen. Today, um, I'm just going to throw this out here. If you want to become part of this church, 
If you need to join, uh, would you just come down while we sing this last song? Or if you need to give your life to Christ because He hasn't been your life, you're like, you know what, I'm in. I'm in. I want this Jesus thing. I, I, I need Him to be my life because, honestly, it's not going that well when I'm in charge. If you want to come to Jesus today, if you want to become be part of this church, you come. Respond as God is calling you as we sing this last song.